ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so inshallah today we're going to begin the chapter of the prayer kitab al-salah from the book of al-hafiz ibn hajar Rahimahullah ta'ala, Bulugh al-Maram, which translates to the attainment of the objectives. The objectives here being the understanding of the religion, the understanding of the different aspects of worship. And for those who are not familiar with this book of Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, then it's one of those books of hadith which are arranged on the chapters of fiqh. And many of the scholars, they used to do that. They used to arrange their books of hadith on the chapters of fiqh. So here, this particular book, it begins with the chapter of purification, as do the majority, if not all of the books of fiqh, that the scholars, they wrote on this pattern. And they begin with the chapter of purification, at tahara Then after that, they go into the chapter of the prayer, kitab salah Then after that, they have the other chapters that come to the various aspects of worship, the chapter of fasting, the chapter of zakat, the chapter of hajj, all of the different aspects of the religion they are covered. And the way that the scholars, they write these books, as this one is written, is that within each chapter, they will mention the various ahadith related to that particular chapter. So you'll see that this chapter now, Kitab salah the chapter of the prayer, within this chapter, there will be several ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam stating or related to different aspects of the prayer, different issues relating to the prayer. So that is this particular book, Bulugh al-Maram. The other thing to note is that this explanation that we are using, the explanation of Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah ta'ala, it's a simple, easy explanation to understand. And our purpose in these lessons is not going to be uh, the purpose of critical analysis. The purpose isn't going to be to look at all of the different opinions and the differences of opinion and to mention the evidences and the arguments and the defense and the refutations. That's not going to be the purpose of the study of this chapter in our way here. Rather, it's going to be to keep it simple, to use the explanation of Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, which is simplified and easy for people to understand. He will mention at times the differences of opinion. He will mention at times that some of the scholars mention this, other scholars mention that. But the purpose here isn't to go into critical detail or critical analysis and refutations and arguments and evidences. But rather we're going to keep it simple, to have an overview and a general understanding of the different issues of the prayer, the different ahadith in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ regarding the prayer, and to have that overview of what to do in different aspects of the prayer, different issues when they arise. The final point to mention before we begin is that everybody will have to demonstrate some degree of patience. Because often what happens in studying fiqh, today now we're going to start with the beginning of the chapter of the prayer. What we don't uh, desire is that people start asking questions about the, uh, the prostration of forgetfulness. Or start asking something about the tashahud. Or other types of issues that are later. All the issues they will come. 
The chapter of the prayer, it's not small. This is a volume on the chapter of the prayer. Everything will come, section by section. And we'll move through the prayer from the beginning to the end. And the different issues, they will be covered. So everybody needs to show some patience in not jumping ahead at times, which is what occurs often. Now we're starting now at the beginning of the prayer and people start asking questions related to the end of the prayer or something outside of that issue afterwards. So try to keep it related to the topic because often you'll find that the other issues that are in your mind, they'll get covered the next week or the week after that or the week after that. Because all of the issues will come in turn, one by one, inshallah. So we begin with Kitab salah The reason why the scholars, they always mention Kitab salah straight after Kitab tahara Often the first chapter that the scholars mention in these books is the chapter of purification. And the reason being because purification is something which is required for you to be able to perform the prayer and some of the other acts of worship also. That's why it's logical that they always begin with purification first, and then they move on to the prayer. Because purification is something that is required for you to be able to do the prayer. So that's why this is actually the second chapter of Bulugh al-Maram, which is the chapter that we intend to cover insha'Allah. So, as-salah. What does the word salah mean linguistically? Often you hear that the scholars, when they speak about these explanations, they give you the linguistic meaning of a word, and then the Islamic meaning of that word. So linguistically in the Arabic language, what does salah mean? The scholars, they mentioned that salah in the Arabic language as a word itself means dua. It means supplication. That's what the word salah actually means in the Arabic language. Supplication, to make dua. And that's mentioned... In the Qur'an itself, there's an evidence from the Qur'an itself which proves that the linguistic meaning or is a, an evidence that backs up this uh, idea or this uh, explanation that it is dua. That is the ayah in Surah At-Tawbah, ayah number 103, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةٌ تُطَهِّرُهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ That take from their wealth this charity, this zakat, which purifies them and it uh, it purifies them and it cleanses them. Wasalli alayhim. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wasalli alayhim. And pray upon them. Do the salah upon them. But what does it mean in this ayah? Do the salah upon them, pray upon them, i.e., supplicate for them. Salli alayhim, ay ud'u lahum. Make dua for them. So we know that the linguistic meaning of the word salah. Salah in the Arabic language actually means to make dua, to supplicate. But what does it mean? Uh, in fact, there's another narration from a hadith. Hadith of uh, righteousness to your parents. There's a hadith which is in uh, Musnad of Imam Ahmad and Abu Dawood ibn Majah, where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned one of the characteristics of righteousness to your parents is As-salatu alayhima. Prayer upon them. One of the characteristics of righteousness to your parents is as-salah upon them. Prayer upon them. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that you start praying the prayer. Here the meaning of the hadith again is the same thing. Supplication for them. Now one of the things that they'll benefit from even after their death is that the righteous child, he supplicates for them. And he makes dua for them. But the word used in the hadith is salah. That one of the righteousness 
that you can show to your parents is that you do the salah upon them, i.e. that you make dua for them, you supplicate for them, you ask Allah to forgive them, you ask Allah to have mercy upon them. So all of these indicate that the word salah linguistically means supplication or dua. Then Islamically then, what does the word salah mean Islamically when we speak about the salah, when we're talking about now the chapter of the salah, we're not talking about the chapter of supplication or dua. We're talking about Islamically, which is the definition that the scholars give in general, that it is a worship which begins with the takbir, Allahu Akbar. It is a worship that begins with the takbir and it ends with the taslim. Assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. What happens in between those two parts, that is your prayer. Islamically, that's what we are talking about when we say the prayer. Those specific statements and those particular or specific actions that start with the takbir and they end with the taslim. All of that which occurs in between those two parts, from your statements that you make, the recitation that you do, the actions that you do, everything from the beginning of the takbir, Allahu Akbar, to the end of the taslim, assalamu alaikum, then all of that in between, all of the statements, all of the supplications, all of the various actions, that is what we intend by salah. That is the Islamic salah. That's specific. That's why the scholars say that the Islamic meanings of a word are always the same as the linguistic meaning, but with an addition. The Islamic meanings of words are the same as the linguistic meanings, but with additions. So yes, Islamically the prayer is a dua. You are making dua to Allah. But it's a specific type of dua, which begins with the takbir. Then you have to do the ruku'ah, there's the prostration, there's the other pillars of the prayer. It's a specific type of dua. Nobody can come along at the time of dhuhr and just sit there and put his hands up and make dua and say, I've done it. That's what salah is, it's dua. Correct, it's dua. But this salah Islamically is a specific type of dua. Begins with the takbir, you have all of the supplications and the recitations in the middle, the actions that you must do, and then you end it with the taslim. That is what we are speaking about when we say the salah. Islamically. Then the shaykh says, وَالصَّلَاةُ فِي الشَّرْعِ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ الْعِبَادَاتِ لِأَنَّهَا يَجْتَمِعُ فِيهَا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْعِبَادَةِ مَا لَا يَجْتَمِعُ فِي غَيْرِهَا مِنْ تَلَاوَةِ الْقُرْآنِ وَالثَّنَاءِ عَلَى اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى والتسبيح والتكبير والقيام والركوع والسجود والجلوس. الشيخ صالح الفوزان حفظه الله تعالى says that the prayer it is from the greatest types of worship in this legislation. In this religion of Islam, the prayer is one of the greatest types of worship. That is because this particular type of worship, within it are several different types of worship, all joined together in this one act of the prayer. Several different types of obedience, which you don't find in other acts of worship. In other acts of worship, you may have one of them or two of them. But the prayer has several different types of obedience, all put together in this one act. Different types, for example, recitation of the Qur'an. So within the prayer, there is recitation of the Qur'an that occurs, the Fatiha, and then after the Fatiha, there is a recitation of the Qur'an. Athana'u ala Allah, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which occurs within the Fatiha, which occurs also in the Ruku'ah, in the Sujood, etc. There is praising of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
there is tasbih, there is takbir, there is the standing, there is the ruku'ah, there is the sujood, there is the sitting. All of these are different forms of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of them joined together in one action, one obedience, the prayer. Supplications, statements, physical actions, all of them put together into this one obedience, the prayer. And that is why the Shaykh says this is one of the greatest acts of worship in Islam because of the several different types of obedience that come together into this one act. Also, it is the second pillar of Islam, as you are aware, after the Shahadatain. And that is because of several narrations in the Sunnah that prove that this is the second pillar after the testification of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. From amongst those is the hadith, Buni al-Islam ala khams, that this religion is built upon five. Shahadati an la ilaha illallah, the testification that there is no uh, deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, and that the Prophet Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and then after that, wa iqami salah. After the testification of la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, the second thing mentioned in the hadith, the hadith which says that Islam is built upon five pillars. The first, the testification. The second one mentioned in the hadith, The establishment of the prayer. And then after that it mentions also the zakat and the hajj and the fasting etc. But the point being here, the second thing mentioned is the prayer. So that is the second pillar of Islam. Similarly, in the hadith of Jibreel also, when Jibreel said to the Prophet ﷺ, which we already covered in Thalathat al-Usul previously, when he said to him, "Akhbirni an al-Islam," tell me about Islam. So he said, "Al-Islam an tashhada an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah wa tuqimu al-salah." He said that Islam is that you bear testification, "La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah." Then, wa tuqimu al-salah, and that you establish the prayer straight after the testification of Tawheed. Again, proving that it is the second pillar of Islam straight after the testification of Tawheed. You have also the Hadith. Concerning Mu'adh ibn Jabal, when he was sent to Yemen, so the Prophet ﷺ said to him, that when you go there, إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ You are going to come to a group of people who are from the people of the book. فَلْتَكُنْ أَوَّلَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ Then make sure the first thing that you tell them when you go there, شَهَادَةُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ The testification that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, except Allah. فَإِنْ هُمْ قَبِلُوا مِنْكَ ذَلِكَ If they accept that from you, if they accept that, they accept the Tawheed, they, they believe in that, they affirm that, they accept that, then after that, أَخْبِرْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهِ افْتَرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ خَمْسَ صَلَوَاتٍ فِي كُلِّ يَوْمٍ وَلَيْلًا Then tell them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it obligatory upon them the five prayers in the day and the night. So again, the very next thing mentioned after the acceptance of Tawheed was the prayer. So all of these evidences indicate to you that the prayer, it has the high rank and status in Al-Islam, and it is the second pillar of this religion. Then the Shaykh says, وَقَدْ فُرِضَتْ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي مَكَّةِ قَبْلَ الْهِجْرَةِ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْمِعْرَاجِ لَمَّا عُرِجَ بِهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ it was made obligatory in Mecca, before the emigration, before the Muslims, they left and they went to Medina, before that, when they were still in Mecca, the obligation of the prayer, it was given. And it was given on the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, when the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens, 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribed the prayer directly to the Prophet ﷺ. Directly, without the intermediary of Jibreel ﷺ. Typically the commandments, they would be given to Jibreel ﷺ. He would then bring them down to the Prophet ﷺ as revelation. But on this occasion with the prayer, that did not occur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give that revelation to Jibreel to go and tell the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Instead, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ himself was taken up to the heavens to be given that order, to be given that obligation directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholars, they say, this is an indication for the greatness of the prayer. It's an indication for the greatness of this act of worship. Because you see the difference between it and the other acts of worship. The other acts of worship, Allah gave them to Jibreel, and then Jibreel would come and teach the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu as revelation from Allah. Whereas this one did not occur in that way, it was given directly to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu on the night when he was taken to the heavens. Uh, and originally, when the prayer was established, originally when the prayer, the obligation of it was given, it was given as two raka'at. Dhuhr was two raka'at. Uh, Salat al-Asr was two raka'at. Uh, Al-Isha was two raka'at. Fajr was two raka'at. And Maghrib was three. Maghrib was three, that's known, it is the witter of the day. That is known as the witter prayer of the day. Why? Because it's three raka'at, just like witter can be three raka'at. So uh, Salat al-Maghrib is three. Fajr was always two, because the purpose of Fajr is that you're supposed to extend the amount of recitation that you do in it. You're supposed to elongate how much you recite. 60 to 100 ayat sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would recite. Whereas the other prayers, Dhuhr and Asr and Isha, were originally only two. Two raka'at for all of them. Then afterwards at a later point, they were kept as two if you are traveling. But if you're resident, then they were made into four. The Dhuhr and the Asr and the Isha. They were originally two, but then they were completed into being four if you are resident, but they remained as twos if you are traveling. Then the Shaykh says, وَمَنْ تَرَكَ الصَّلَاةَ مُتَعَمِّدًا Whoever leaves the prayer purposely, فَإِنْ كَانَ جَاحِدًا لِوُجُوبِهَا فَإِنَّهُ كَافِرٌ بِإِجْمَاعِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And he rejects the obligation of the prayer. A person rejects the obligation of the prayer. Then that one is a disbeliever by the consensus of the Muslims. And the Shaykh mentions, يُسْتَتَابُ فَإِنْ تَابَ وَإِلَّا قُتِلْ مُرْتَدًّا كَمَا لَوْ قَالَ الصَّلَاةُ عَادَاتُ أَوْ تَقَالِيدِ اجْتِمَاعِيَّةِ The Shaykh says, some people they say that the prayer, it's not an Islamic obligation. It's an Islamic cultural thing. Some people they claim this. The Shaykh says, they say it's a tradition of the believers. It's a tradition of the Muslims that they pray these five prayers in the day. Otherwise, it's not actually an Islamic obligation. For those types of people who hold these types of opinions, the Shaykh says they are disbelievers. They have exited from the fold of Islam with that kind of aqidah. As for if a person recognizes the obligation of the prayer, but then still leaves it and doesn't pray out of laziness. Then this is something that the scholars, they differed about. 
the Sheikh says, فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَرَى أَنَّهُ كَافِرٌ كُفْرًا يُخْرِجُهُ مِنَ الْمِلَّةِ كَالْإِمَامَ أَحْمَدُ وَجَمَاعَ مِنَ الْمُحَقِّقِينَ In brief, we'll just mention here, the Sheikh says that some of the scholars, they say, if a person leaves the prayer uh, out of laziness, even though he knows it's obligatory, then he's a kafir. Some of the scholars, they held this opinion in brief, and there's details to it, and there's more explanation, but in brief, the Sheikh mentions, some of the scholars, they hold that person to be a disbeliever. Whereas some of the other scholars, and they have evidences, that the covenant, the barrier between us and them is the prayer. So whoever leaves the prayer, he's disbelieved. The, 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 the fence, the barrier between us and the disbelievers is that prayer. So whoever leaves the prayer, the barrier has gone down, you've fallen into disbelief. So they use these types of narrations. Uh, whereas the other scholars, the Sheikh says, some of the other scholars, they have mentioned that a person who leaves the prayer out of laziness, uh, that the person who leaves it, it is disbelief, it is kufr. لَكِنَّهُ كُفْرٌ عَمَلِي لَا يُخْرِجُ مِنَ الْمِلَّةِ But it is the kufr of your actions. As you are aware, there is kufr of belief and kufr of actions. This, the scholars, many of them say, it is kufr of the actions. It is still a type of disbelief, but it doesn't exit you from the fold of Islam. In any case, the shaykh says, in summary, you should recognize the importance of this issue. The importance of this affair. The scholars, they say, that, you know, some people they say, yes, but there's an opinion, the scholars say, if you leave the prayer out of laziness, you're not a kafir. You're not a kafir. The scholars, they say, you shouldn't be thinking in that way. Rather, the way you should think about this issue is, that if you're not praying, you should be concerned, and you should be extremely worried. One, because, like we said, it's the second pillar of Islam. On top of that, it is the first thing that a person will be asked about on the day of judgment. When you're held accountable, the first thing you will be asked about is your prayer. So if your prayer is good and correct, inshallah, as it's mentioned in the hadith, the remainder of your actions will be good and correct. But if your prayer is wrong and false and missing, then what do you expect of the rest of your actions? On top of that, the scholars from the times of the Salaf up until now have had this debate, this ongoing debate. Is that person who leaves their prayer out of laziness a kafir or not? So you're sat there saying comfortably, yes, but there are some scholars who say it's okay. The reality is those scholars have been debating this issue for centuries. Are you even a Muslim or not? If you don't pray even out of laziness. The scholars are debating whether you're a Muslim or not. So in reality, it's something of extreme importance. Nobody should think in any way that there are scholars who say it's okay. No scholar says it's okay. Even the ones who used to say that this is kufr amali, kufr of your actions, they still used to say, he has to repent and be told to pray, and if he doesn't, you kill him. So this is the severity and the importance of it, not something that anyone should take lightly with regards to the prayer. So that is a brief introduction that the Shaykh gives with some of the virtues and the importance of the prayer. Then, to start with the actual chapters of this uh, particular chapter of the prayer, the first of the subsections is Babul Mawaqit. The times of the prayers. What are the legislated times for each prayer? When does Fajr begin? When does it end? When does Dhuhr begin? When does it end? What time does Asr start? When can you pray till? What time does Maghrib start? When can you pray till? What time does Isha start? How long in the night can you carry on praying it till? So for the first chapter, the Al-Hafid ibn Hajar mentions here, 
is to understand what are the correct times of the prayers. Because if you don't know that, then the prayer is unacceptable. The prayer must be in its times. So here he says, Babul Mawaqit, the chapter of the timings. What did you say there? The times of the prayer. Al-Mawaqit, it's the plural of Miqat, and it is something which has been uh, given as a particular timing or a, or a zone. Because the Miqat can be two types. It can be a Miqat which is zonal, geographical, a geographical restricted area. Or it can be a, a, a time, time-wise, something which is restricted time-wise. Here, obviously the issue is regarding the times of the prayers. The restrictions and the uh, explanation of when the times of the prayers are. Otherwise, you can have the miqat of the geographical type, which is... If a hajj and umrah, the, the miqat, the mawaqit there, you have the certain areas where you must make your ihram from. They are geographical types of miqat. Here our miqat that we wish to discuss is the time-related one. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتَ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا That indeed the prayer, it is upon the believers, a, an act of worship which is in its times. It has been allocated particular times and restricted to those times. So it is upon a person to understand and to know what those times are, in order that he obviously can then pray and do that act of worship in its correct time for it to be accepted. The first hadith in that case. An Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhuma. Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhuma narrates Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Waktu al-dhuhri idha zalati al-shams wa kana dhillu al-rajuli katulihi ma lam yahdur al-asr. That the time for the dhuhr is if the sun, it goes beyond the zenith. Meridian or the zenith. The, the, the peak of the day. We'll explain all of this in the explanation. But when the sun goes beyond the zenith or the meridian or the peak of the day, that's when dhuhr it begins. And it continues up until... The shadow of a man is the same as his length. The shadow of a man is the same as his actual length. ما لم يحضر العصر Up until the asr time doesn't start. ووقت العصر ما لم تصفر الشمس And the time for the asr continues up until the sun has the haziness or the yellowness. The yellowness. وَوَقْتُ الْمَغْرِبِ مَا لَمْ يَغِبِ الشَّفَقِ And the time for Maghrib continues up until the, the sun rays disappear from the horizon. Twilight, twilight. The twilight is not visible. Yes, it is. The twilight it disappears. And the time for the Isha prayer is to the middle of the night. وَوَقْتُ صَلَاةِ الصُبْحِ مِنْ طُلُوعِ الْفَجَرِ and the time for the Fajr is uh, from the arising of the Fajr. مَا لَمْ تَطْلْعِ الشَّمْسِ Up until the sun doesn't arise. Anything else? This narration in Sahih Muslim. Also there's the hadith of Burayda regarding the Asr prayer. وَالشَّمْسُ بَيْضَاءُ نَقِيَّةِ And the sun is still 
white and pure. وَمِنْ حَدِيثَ بِمُوسَى وَالشَّمْسُ And the sun is still high in the sky. The explanation of all of that will come now. This hadith, the shaykh says, it explains to you the times of the five prayers. So firstly, you have the time for the prayer of dhuhr. وَقْتُ الظُّهُرْ إِذَا زَالَتِ shams. The time for dhuhr begins if the sun, it, start, it starts to go down from the peak of the day. When the sun is directly in the peak of the sky, once it goes down from that, it starts to basically set now. It has risen, it has risen, it has risen to the middle of the point, to the meridian, to the zenith. Then when it goes beyond that and starts to basically set now on its journey down into setting from the middle of the day downwards, once that middle of the day surpasses, from there the time of dhuhr it begins. Here the shaykh says, فَإِذَا كَانَتْ فَوْقَ الرُّؤُوسِ So when the sun is directly above your heads, it's directly above your heads, then when حَسَرَ dhil and the shadow it, it stops, there is no shadow at that direct point when the sun is directly above you. After that, when it starts to go down, it moves from that middle point in the sky, and it starts to go across from there, and therefore a shadow begins. As soon as it moves slightly from that middle point, you'll notice a slight shadow. From that point now, the time for dhuhr, it begins. This is known as, as it's mentioned in the ayah of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Isra, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ Establish the prayer at the duluk of the sun. What is the duluk? لِدُلُوكِ shams. That's this. When the sun has gone from the meridian, from the zenith, from the peak of the sky, and it has started to move down, it has started to go across that now, it's crossed the middle point of the day, that is then known as لِدُلُوكِ shams. And that is when the prayer for dhuhr can now begin. But when does it continue till? That's when it begins. How long does it continue till? وَكَانَ ذِلُّ الرَّجُلِ كَطُولِهِ And the shadow of a person, of a man, is the same as his actual length. The shadow of a person is the same as his actual length. وَيَسْتَمِرُّ وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ مِنْ زَوَالِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَتَسَاوَى الظِّلِّ مَعَ الشَّاخِصِ so from the point when it crosses the middle of the day, and the sun it continues to go down and down and down, and your shadow gets longer and longer and longer, when it gets to the point that your shadow is equal to your actual length, you are six foot tall, the shadow on the floor is now six foot also. When the shadow is equal to you, that's when Dhuhr has finished now. After that point, the shadow is going to continue and get longer. Now Asr has begun. When the shadow is equal to your actual length or any object, you put this bottle on the floor, the shadow which comes out is exactly the same as length as the bottle itself. When it gets to that level, Dhuhr has now stopped. That's the last time for Dhuhr to be able to be prayed. When the shadow of an object is equal to the actual length of the object. So the shaykh says, Hina idhin yantahi waqtu dhuhr At that time, the time for Dhuhr it finishes. فَإِذَا صَارَ ذِلَالُ الْعُمُودِ بِمِقْدَارِ الْعُمُودِ So if you have for example some pillar, and the shadow of that pillar is exactly the same length as the actual pillar, or the shadow of a, of a person is the exact length as the actual person, 
or a wall is the exact length as the actual wall, meaning any object, if you put it out into the open, and the shadow of that object is the same as the actual object, at that point now, that's the last time for dhuhr to be prayed, the time for dhuhr then ends. After that point then, that's where dhuhr ends, and asr begins. Asr then begins at that point, when the shadow of an object is equal to its actual length. إِذَنْ فَمَا بَيْنَ زَوَالِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَى مُصَاوَاتِ الظِّلِّ لِشَاخِسِ هَذَا وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ Therefore the shaykh says, from the point when the sun crosses the middle of the day, the peak of the day, the peak of the sky, up until the shadow becomes the same length as the actual object, all of that is the time for dhuhr. Uh, فَفِي أَيِّ وَقْتٍ أَدَّاهَا فِيهِ تَكُونُ أَدَاءً إِنْ كَانَ فِي أَوَّلِهِ أَوْ فِي وَسَطِهِ أَوْ فِي آخِرِهِ So if a person was to pray his dhuhr prayer, from any time in between those two points, at the beginning, in the middle, in the end, then his prayer is correct and it's been performed correctly. Obviously we'll come to the narrations afterwards which speak about praying at the beginning and that being more virtuous etc. But generally speaking, as long as you did pray in that time period, then that prayer is performed correctly. وَوَقْتُ الْعَسْرِ يَبْدَأُ مِنْ مُسَاوَاتِ الظِّلِّ لِشَاخِسِ إِلَى اسْفِرَارِ الشَّمْسِ And the time for Asr, it begins from that point, when the shadow of an object is equal to it, up until the sun becomes hazy and yellow. You'll notice on a clear day, if it's possible to see when the sun is about to set and it's going down, it becomes hazy. And you see the, the yellowness spread across the horizon. When that haziness spreads across the horizon, that yellowness spreads, that's the end time of Asr. The Shaykh says, يَعْنِي إِذَا تَغَيَّرَ لَوْنُ الشَّمْسِ مِنَ الْبَيَاضِ إِلَى صُفْرَ i.e. if the color of the sun changes from whiteness to yellowness. Typically when the sun is in the sky, on a clear day, blue skies, you try to look up at the sun, it will be not yellow, it will be more like a white color. Bright white. It comes out as a very light white type of color. But at sunset if you look at it, it's yellow, orange, completely different. You don't see the color of the sunset at the middle of the day when the sun is in the sky. In the middle of the day it's very bright and white. But when it goes to the end of the day, it becomes this yellow. So this is what's meant. When it starts to become that yellow, then the time for Asr has finished. There's another opinion which says that it's not about the sun getting to this yellowness on the horizon when it's about to set. That's not the end of Asr. There's another opinion which says the end of Asr is when the shadow of an object becomes twice its length. So you have a person which is six foot, he stands out in the open and the shadow when you measure it, it's twelve foot. They say that's the end of the time for Asr. When the shadow of an object becomes twice its length. Two opinions that are mentioned about the end of Asr. Either when the sun becomes the hazy yellow, when it's about to set, or when the shadow of an object becomes twice its length. Even فَإِنَّ نِهَايَةَ وَقْتِ الْعَسَرِ لَهُ عَلَامَتَانِ In that case there are two signs to the end of the time for Asr. One is the yellowness of the sun when it's about to set, and the second is that the shadow of a any given object is twice the length of the object. So within that time, if you were to pray the Asr prayer, any time within that time, from the time when the shadow is equal to the object, 
up until the yellowness of the sun, or when the shadow becomes twice the length of the object, then that will be the correct uh, completion of the, or performance of the Asr prayer. But then, we have an issue. The yellowness of the sun in the sky. When the yellowness appears in the sky, the sun is about to set on the horizon, yellow, hazy, orange. When that happens, this opinion says, that that's the end of the time for Asr. Does that mean Maghrib has started yet? Maghrib starts after sunset. So what about from the time when the sun becomes that yellowy, hazy, orangey color, up until it's setting, what, what about that time? That gap there. Is it permissible to pray Asr in that gap or not? Mm. So the scholars, وَاخْتَلَفَ الْعُلَمَاءُ فِيمَا بَعْدَ صِفْرَارِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَى مَغِيبِ الشَّمْسِ the scholars differed about that time period from when the sun becomes the yellowy, orangey, hazy color up until it's setting. That whatever amount of time it is, that short amount of time from the sun actually being that yellowy color to setting, in that small gap, in that period, what about that? هَلْ هُوَ مِنْ وَقْتِ الْعَصَرِ Asr? Is that also from the time of Asr or is that outside of the time of Asr? Some of the scholars have said, that up until that yellowness appears, that is the correct time of Asr. That is when you should pray. If there was some necessity or need or something occurred, which forced you or compelled you, left you no choice, you were not able to pray. Up until that yellowness occurred, you were only able to end up praying after that yellowness occurred to the setting of the sun. Then they call that waqtu durura the time of necessity. You've been compelled and forced. You had no choice. Some issue occurred. Some scenario occurred, which forced you into this small gap, and you haven't prayed Asr yet. They say, okay, you can pray. You can pray your Asr in that time, and it's still considered as correct, but that is the time of necessity. It was out of necessity you had to pray in that gap. Otherwise, you shouldn't. Otherwise, it should be done before that. But out of necessity, the scholars, they said, if it occurred that you ended up at that time, for whatever circumstances you were not able to pray before that, then they say you can pray in that time. There's a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, مَنْ أَدْرَكَ رَكَعَةً مِنَ الْعَصَرِ قَبْلَ أَن تَغْرُبِ الشَّمْسِ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الْعَصَرِ Whoever catches one raka'ah of Salatul Asr before the sun sets, then he has caught the Asr prayer. So based upon that, the scholar said, technically then you can pray in that gap. But they said it is the time of necessity only. It's not an option, it's not a choice. You don't just sit there and say, I'm going to pray just two minutes before Maghrib, and then straight away I'll pray Maghrib. That's not the correct thing to do. But they say out of necessity, you can use that as a time of necessity, if it came to that situation. Then after that, وَوَقْتُ الْمَغْرِبِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَغِيبَ الشَّفَقِ Then after that, once the uh, sun it sets, after that, uh, the Maghrib can be prayed up until the uh, the horizon, the rays of the sun, they disappear. Basically the Shafaq, when they speak about the Shafaq in these ahadith, when the sun sets, it's set. Even after it has set, there are still rays that are coming out. If you look over the horizon of the hills, the mountains, wherever it may be, the sun has set, it's gone, Maghrib has entered. But even after Maghrib has entered and the sun has set, if you were to look over that horizon, you would still see some brightness and some rays of sunlight coming out from just where the sun has set. 
those rays of brightness that are coming out, as long as they are still there, then that is the time of Maghrib. When they disappear completely, now it's all gone off the horizon, there's nothing left. Then the time of Isha begins, as they say in this, uh, as it's mentioned here. So here it says now, وَشَفَقْ شَفَقَانْ شَفَقٌ أَبْيَضٌ وَشَفَقٌ أَحْمَرٌ فَأَيُّهُمَا الْمُرَادُ هُنَا There are two types of these sun rays that come out. White and red. So which is the intended meaning here? إِنَّ الْمُرَادُ بِذَلِكَ شَفَقُ الْأَحْمَرُ وَلَيْسَ شَفَقُ الْأَبْيَضُ وَسَيَأْتِ فِي الْحَدِيثَ النَّبْسَ سَلَّمْ فَسَّرَهُ بِشَفَقُ الْأَحْمَرُ When the redness and the brightness of the rays of the sun, they disappear. That's what's meant here. That's when the time of Maghrib ends and the time of Isha, it begins. Therefore, Maghrib is from when the sun sets up until that redness which is left in the horizon after the sun disappears, up until that redness or those last remaining uh, rays of sunlight disappear, that's when Maghrib can be prayed up until. When those last few remaining redness in the sky or those rays of the sun disappear, then that is when Isha it begins. So that's when Isha begins. How long does that continue till and when does it continue till? يَسْتَمِرُّ وَقْتُ الْعِشَاء إِلَى نِسْفِ اللَّيْلِ الْأَوْسَطِ Many of the scholars, they mention that the Isha prayer, so it begins at that time, which is when the redness disappears in the sky, the rays of sun, they completely disappear, the darkness overcomes, the Isha prayer, it begins. They say it continues, many of the scholars, up until the middle of the night. Up until the middle of the night. إِلَى نِسْفِ اللَّيْلِ الْأَوْسَطِ Up until the middle of the night. And it's mentioned in some narrations that it continues up until the third of the night. In some narrations it's mentioned, and that's one of the opinions of the scholars, that Isha only continues up until the third of the night. Not up until the half. Not up until the middle of the night. Middle of the night, as Sheikh bin Bazi said, you work it out quite simply on hours. If the night is 10 hours, the middle of the night is 5 hours. You work it out very simply upon the hours. And some of the scholars they've mentioned, like Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, those hours are worked out from the time of Isha. Some of the scholars they say that the hours of the night are worked out from the time of Isha. As Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, for example, mentioned that opinion. So if Isha is at 9 o'clock, for example, and the time of Fajr begins at 3 o'clock, for example, then your night is six hours, the middle of the night, midnight. That is how they work it out. You don't work it out from Maghrib. Because some people, they may say the night it begins at Maghrib. So they may work it out from seven o'clock, for example. Which would mean that you end up with a different calculation. Some of the scholars, they mentioned you started from Isha. You work out your night from Isha, and then you work out the middle of it, very simply upon the hours. So many of the scholars, they say either one of the two. The middle of the night, or the third of the night, uh, and some of the scholars have mentioned again that thing about necessity. If there was a necessity, they say you could continue and pray up until the time of Fajr. But again, they say that is the time of necessity. If some necessity arose, then you could continue beyond the middle of the night. But otherwise, the time is up to the middle of the night. And that is what the Sheikh says is the Rajih. According to uh, uh, his opinion in this explanation, he says, وَالْرَاجِحْ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمْ هُوَ أَنَّهُ إِلَى نِسْفِ اللَّيْلِ That the strongest opinion, Allah knows best, is that the Isha is up until the middle of the night. 
So a person, if he was to pray from any time after the horizon, the redness disappears, up until the middle of the night, then that Isha prayer is correct. The scholars, they differed about from the middle of the night up until the Fajr. What about that then, the second half of the night? Can you pray your Isha in that time or not? Um, <coughs> two opinions. القول الأول أنه يمتد إلى الفجر ولكنه ينقسم إلى قسمين. Some of the scholars they said yes, the time for Isha it can continue up until Fajr. However, like we just said, they said up until half of the night is your preferred time. That is the proper time. Then after that up until Fajr is the time of necessity only. So it's not an option for you to choose to carry on till just before Fajr and pray then. That's the time of necessity if you end up in a situation or a scenario that you have to end up praying then. But otherwise they say up to the middle of the night. Uh, other scholars, they say that after the middle of the night, that's it. Once you go beyond the middle of the night, your time for Isha is finished. If you then pray after that, it's qada or whatever you want to call it, but it's not your actual performance of the Isha prayer. Your actual performance of the Isha prayer, they say, is up until the middle of the night, or upon the other opinion, to the third of the night. But beyond that, they say, you've gone out of the time now. A time of necessity, or otherwise nothing. They say you've gone beyond the time. So in reality, you should do, uh, you should stick to, at the maximum, not going beyond the middle of the night. And that is what Shaykh al-Albani mentioned too, and other scholars, about the middle of the night. Then the only one left is the Fajr prayer. What is the time of the Fajr prayer? أَمَّا وَقْتُ الْفَجَرِ فَإِنَّهُ يَبْدَأُ مِنْ طُلُوعِ الْفَجَرِ الثَّانِيَ الْمُعْتَرَضِ وَيَسْتَمِرُ إِلَى طُلُوعِ الشَّمْسِ Fajr begins from the rise, the, uh, when the light appears on the horizon. But there, in the morning, there are two times when the light appears upon the horizon. When you think that the sun is about to rise. There are two instances when that occurs. That's why they call one of them Al-Fajr al-Sadiq and they call one of it the false Fajr. One of them they call it the true Fajr and one of it is the false Fajr. They say with regards to the true Fajr or, or the false Fajr وَهُوَ الَّذِي يُسَمَّ بِالْفَجْرِ الْكَذُوبِ The false Fajr وَهُوَ فَجْرٌ يَخْرُجُ مُمْتَدًّا كَالْعَمُودِ فِي الْأُفَقِ عَلَى شَكْلِ الْعَمُودِ that is when in the morning you see some light coming out in the horizon. But they say that light, it comes out in like a column. It doesn't spread out across the horizon. When you look at that particular light in the morning, it comes out in like a line. You see some light, but in a very restricted area, coming out in like a pillar. That is the false Fajr. That isn't the time of Fajr starting. Even though you see that light coming out. That is the false Fajr as the scholars they say. The reality of the Fajr, because then once that comes out, when you see that light coming out, but it comes out in this column-like fashion, afterwards it disappears again. It disappears again and it becomes darkness again. Then after that, you have the light coming out again, but this time it comes out across the horizon. It starts to come out across the horizon. When that comes out across the horizon, then you recognize that the time of Fajr has begun. But not the first time when it comes out momentarily for a while, and it comes out in a different way, not across the horizon. It comes out almost like a column in one, one column. And then it disappears and it becomes dark again. Then it comes out across the horizon, 
And when it comes out across the horizon, that is when the time of Fajr actually begins. And that second Fajr, when the horizon, it, the light comes out across the horizon, not in a column-like fashion, that's when the time for Fajr begins, and that's when the time for the fasting, it also starts. For a person who is fasting, that is what the that is what the meaning of the ayah is. And eat and drink until the black line becomes apparent to you from the white line. What is the black line and the white line? The horizon, the darkness of the night, and the whiteness of the light coming out across the horizon. When that becomes apparent to you, i.e. the true Fajr, that's when you stop eating and drinking. And that is the time when Fajr it begins. So whenever, and that continues up until when? Up until the sun actually rises. Once it starts rising, that's it, it's finished. But up until that horizon starts to brighten up, to the point where the sun actually begins to rise, in between there is the time for Fajr. Once the sun rises, that's it. Fajr, the time is finished. But in between those two, as long as a person prays within that, then his prayer is correct. After that time, once the sun rises, then the time is finished, but you can pray the other types of prayers, al-duha, and the other types of sunan prayers, but the Fajr time is no longer. So that, in a nutshell, covers the times of the different prayers. So uh, that's clear, I think. The times for the prayers when they all begin and when they all end. What time is it here? The next one, Anabi Bar. There are narrations. There are narrations, but some sometimes they are weak. Sometimes the other scholars have explained that these particular narrations are weak, and we'll come to uh, some of those points too. Even with Fajr, with Fajr, the the Hanafi uh, methodology is to pray it very late compared to the other schools of thought on that issue. Often it's because of narrations. There are some other narrations. There will be some other narration. It might be a weak narration sometimes. It might be a, a very weak narration sometimes, and that's why the other scholars they didn't rely upon that narration. And sometimes it comes to other issues of fiqh. There might be a hadith which is authentic, but because of the other hadith which are more authentic, for example, or one hadith might be munkar, uh, narrated by authentic narrators, but it goes against other authentic narrations. There might be issues like that which come into it, which therefore cause uh, the Hanafis to conclude one thing, or that methodology to conclude one thing, and the other scholars to conclude another thing. But often with the evidences, uh, you find that they are majoritively on uh, the other methodologies because uh, Imam Ahmad, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, they are often very close together in their opinions, whereas you find that Imam Hanifa is often very different. One of the reasons the scholars have mentioned for that is because Imam Abu Hanifa at that time, he had a restricted amount of hadith and a restricted amount of chains of narration. They say that Imam Abu Hanifa only had just over a hundred chains of narration himself. And even from those, many of them were weak. So the knowledge of hadith at that time where Imam Abu Hanifa was, was restricted. Therefore his methodology was based a lot more upon derivation. The few evidences that they did have, 
they used the 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 art of derivation to infer rulings from them. Whereas the others, they had a lot more access to hadith. Imam Ahmad, Imam Shafi, Imam Malik, they had a lot more access to hadith. And therefore, sometimes, often their opinions are stronger because they have a lot more evidences to work with. Whereas Imam Hanifa, it was restricted at that time, the number of hadith that were available. And that's why some of his opinions may be different to the others. But in that case, like they all said, whenever the opinions, they go against the Quran and the Sunnah, then you take the Quran and the Sunnah are not their opinions. So here... We'll continue with the next narration, which is عن أبي برزة الأسلامي رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي العصر ثم يرجع أحدنا إلى رحله في أقصى المدينة والشمس حية وكان يستحب أن يؤخر من العشاء وكان يكره النوم قبلها والحديث بعدها وكان ينفتل نعم ينفتل من صلاة الغداء حين يعرف الرجل جليسة in this hadith, the companion, he states, عنه, that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to pray the Asr prayer in congregation. This is to explain when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray now. We've explained the, the full amount of time. But within that full amount of time, there's a preferred time. And here now it explains when did the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Asr prayer. At the beginning when the shadow was the exact length or right at the end just before the yellowness of the sun. Here the companion says that we used to pray the Asr prayer. Then we would get onto our riding animal. We would get onto our riding animals and go back to our homes which were at the other end of Medina. They used to come from long distances to pray the congregational prayer with the Prophet ﷺ. To sit with him, to benefit from him. From long distances they used to come on their camels and donkeys and horses. So they say we used to pray Asr, then get back onto our riding animal, whatever it was, and go back to the other end of Medina, back to our homes, a long distance away. And still when we used to get back, الشمس حيّة, the sun was still alive, meaning it was still bright and shining. It hadn't got anywhere near the yellowness yet. Which indicates when did they pray Asr then? Right at the beginning of the time, for them to be able to pray, get on their riding animals, go to the other end of Medina in those days on their riding animals, and still when they get home after all that time, the sun is still bright and white. It hasn't got down to setting yet and become yellow and orangey yet. Which indicates they were praying at the beginning of the time. <coughs> then, وَكَانَ يَسْتَحَبُّ أَنْ يُؤَخِّرَ مِنَ الْعِشَاءِ And the Prophet ﷺ used to love, or used to prefer, to delay the Isha prayer. وَكَانَ يَكْرَهُ النَّوْمَ قَبْلَهَا And he used to dislike sleeping before the Isha prayer. وَالْحَدِيثِ بَعْدَهَا Or conversation and speaking after it. وَكَانَ يَنْفَتِلُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْغَدَى And he used to leave the Fajr prayer. حِينَ يَعْرِفُ الرَّجُلُ جَلِيسَهُ After praying Fajr, he would leave when a person could recognize who the other person is. Meaning at that time, Al-Masjid al-Nabawi, the Prophet's mosque, it was dark. They didn't have the electricity, they didn't have light, it wasn't uh, illuminated inside the masjid. There wasn't light in the mosque. When they used to go to pray Fajr, it was darkness. They used to go there and it was darkness, the, the, the darkness of the night, the darkness inside the masjid, it was dark. Here the hadith says that Prophet would pray the Fajr and when he would leave, 
a person would be able to recognize another person. Meaning therefore that lightness had now started to appear for them to be able to recognize who this other person is. When they used to enter for the Fajr prayer, they wouldn't be able to recognize each other. Look a few meters away, they wouldn't be able to recognize who that person is. Because of the darkness of the night when they used to go to pray Fajr. But when they would leave, it mentions there was enough light for them to be able to recognize who each other is. وَكَانَ يَقْرَأُ بِالسِّتِينَ إِلَى And he used to recite from between 60 to 100 ayat in Salat al-Fajr. Here then the explanation of that hadith, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says, that when the companion says we used to pray Asr, and then we used to return back on our riding animal, to the other end of Medina, the Shaykh says this indicates to the enthusiasm of the companions, the zeal of the companions, that they will travel large distances, to come and pray that congregational prayer, with the Prophet ﷺ. Because they wanted to see the Prophet ﷺ. And they wanted to learn from him and study from him. That's why the Shaykh says, based upon the example of the companions, it is befitting upon all of the Muslims generally to have this zeal upon the prayer, to have this enthusiasm to make sure that you are praying it in the congregation. And to have this enthusiasm, this zeal to go to the masajid where the people of knowledge are there. Pray a congregational prayers there and to go to those places because you can benefit from the people within it. So they used to do that and they used to ride back and the sun was still alive. Meaning that it was still pure and clean and white and hot. It was still up there. It wasn't setting. When it sets, it becomes cooler and it becomes yellow and orange. But here the narrator says that we used to go back and still the sun was hot and white and bright. It was still hot and the yellowness and the haziness hadn't come into it yet. لأنها إذا قاربت الغروب صفرت لكن قبل ذلك تكون بيضاء نقية وهذا هو الذي عبر عنه أبو برز رضي الله عنه بقوله حيا. وهذا يدل على أنه سلم كان يعجل صلاة العصر في أول وقتها. This is the point. This therefore indicates that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Asr prayer at the beginning of its time. He used to pray the Asr prayer at the beginning of the time. That's with regards to the Asr prayer. The time, yes, from the time when the, the shadow is equal up until the yellowness of the sun. But the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer and used to pray it at the beginning of the time. That's the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ with regards to the Asr prayer. Then, وَكَانَ يَسْتَحِبُّ أَنْ يُؤَخِّرَ مِنَ الْعِشَاءِ He used to like to delay the Isha prayer. So when the companion mentioned that he used to bring forward the Asr prayer to the beginning time, he also mentioned at the same time, or rather on the other hand, the Isha prayer, he liked to delay it. And, وَكَانَ يَكْرَهُ النَّوْمْ قَبْلَهَا وَالْحَدِيثُ بَعْدَهَا وَالْحَدِيثَ بَعْدَهَا He used to dislike that the people sleep before Isha. For several reasons. If an individual sleeps before the Isha prayer, 
لِأَنَّهُ يَكْسِلُ عَنِ الصَّلَاةِ Then he becomes lazy at the time of Isha. If a person's been awake all day, and he finds himself tired after Maghrib. If he was to go to sleep at that time, then that is basically his sleep of the night. It's not a nap he's going to take. That sleep which is overcoming him is the sleep of the night. If he goes to sleep then before Isha, he's going to become very tired. And he may even become so lazy that he ends up missing the Isha prayer. Or he ends up sleeping through it because he falls into that deep sleep now. So that is one of the reasons why it's not recommended and it was disliked to sleep before the Isha prayer. Uh, Also, he used to dislike speech, conversation, gatherings after the Isha prayer. Why? Because it is befitting for an individual to close his day with the Isha prayer. To close your day upon that act of obedience to Allah. You make your obedience to Allah, your worship to Allah, you pray the Isha prayer, pray your witr, you pray that, and you close your day upon that goodness. You've just prayed your Isha, you've made your dua, you've done your supplications, and then you finish off your day upon that note. Upon that good note of having worshipped Allah, done that obedience, prayed your Isha, then go to sleep straight away and finish your day on a high as they say. Whereas if a person after the Isha prayer engages in conversation and speech, he may end up backbiting someone, he may end up slandering someone, he may end up saying something, doing something which is wrong. And therefore when you go to sleep, you've ended your day on a bad note. So this is one of the reasons the scholars they mention, the meaning of this is that the speech was disliked after Isha, lest you fall into some error or you do something wrong. Rather you should leave that as soon as you finish your Isha, then go straight to sleep to end your day on a high note upon that act of obedience and worship without any other error coming in after that time up until when you sleep. Also, uh, it's mentioned that if a person was to stay up after the Isha prayer, أَنَّ صَهْرَهُ بَعْدَ الْعِشَاءَ قَدْ يُسَبِّبُ تَأَخْهُرَهُ عَنِ الْقِيَامِ That if a person stays up after Isha, and he speaks and he has conversation etc, then that could cause him to miss, and maybe some people will find this strange now. This might be something that maybe many of us find strange, that the shaykh is phrasing it in the way that he's phrasing it. The shaykh says that a person who stays up after Fajr, after Isha, speaking and talking etc, he might end up missing the night prayer. He might end up missing the night prayer. Most people probably think that's strange because you don't even pray the night prayer. So why is that something that we have to worry about? But here, the norm for the scholars and the people of knowledge and those upon that righteousness is that they get up and they pray the night prayer. So the shaykh is saying to you out of shock that if you stay up after Isha, you might miss the night prayer. Most people probably want to put their heads down, I don't even pray the night prayer. But here, this is what the scholars they mention. This is how they speak about these affairs. That if you stay up after Isha, one of the things that might occur to you is that you might end up missing the night prayer. Whereas typically, normally, you should get up in the last third of the night. It's an excellent act to do, to pray in that last third of the night. Mutawatir narrations about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends in the last third of the night, and He says to the people, Man yad'uni, astajib Allah, man yastaghfiruni, aghfir Allah. Who is asking me, I will give it to him. Who is seeking forgiveness, I will give him forgiveness. So that is an excellent time to pray and to make dua and to seek forgiveness. But the shaykh says, a person who stays up, he may end up missing that. Because then you end up going to sleep late, and therefore you're not able to get up to do that. So the shaykh says that staying up at, uh, after Isha, there are harms to it. On top of the fact that beyond that, 
A person may even end up missing the Fajr prayer. So all of these things, they uh, are reasons why a person should not engage in conversation and relaxing after the Isha prayer. Except with certain exceptions. One of them being seeking knowledge. If there was a circle of knowledge, for example, after the Isha prayer, then it's permissible and correct to sit and attend in that circle of knowledge. Even if certain brothers, they decided, or sisters decided to get together to revise something after the Isha prayer, then that's okay. Your speech and your conversation and your getting together and your gathering after the Isha prayer is for the purpose of that knowledge and the revision of that knowledge. That's okay too. Or, the Shaykh mentions also a third thing, when you have learning of knowledge, when you have the revision of knowledge, one other thing the Shaykh mentions is, if it was something that is for the benefit of the Muslims, if you stayed up after Isha for the purpose of engaging in something that is for the benefit of the Muslims, and the Shaykh gives the example of a leader of a country, you have the leader, a Muslim leader of a Muslim country somewhere, he remains awake after Isha discussing with his people and his, uh, whoever they are, his advisors in discussing what to do with the affairs of the Muslims in his country, how to resolve a problem. Okay, so now he is staying up after Isha, engaging in conversation, but that is a permissible type because it is for the benefit of the Muslims. This conversation the leader is having with his people, his advisors, is for the sake of the believers and the Muslims in his land. It is for the sake of those who are in his land and for the benefit of them. So these types of affairs where there is benefit in them, seeking of knowledge, revision of knowledge, that is excluded. But otherwise, general chit-chat and conversation and relaxing, then that is not something which is recommended after Salat al-Isha. Uh, it's mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ used to speak sometimes and engage in conversation after Isha if guests came to him. And sometimes he would engage in conversation with his family. And sometimes he would engage in conversation after Isha if there was again some benefit to be achieved from that. So with these types of affairs, then there's no... Uh, harm in speaking and engaging in conversation after Isha and gathering. But outside of these types of reasons, and the Shaykh mentions it is not something good or recommended. <coughs> then the final part of the hadith, where the narrator mentions, That the Prophet ﷺ used to leave from the Fajr prayer when one of them could recognize his companion. كان ينصرف بعد الانتهاء من صلاة الفجر حين يعرف الناس بعضهم البعض وذلك لأنه لم يكن في مسجده صلى الله عليه وسلم أنوار أو مصابيح So there didn't used to be lights There didn't used to be lights in the masjid of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And that's why it's mentioned in this narration that obviously originally they used to pray in darkness They would pray in darkness at that time of the morning And when the Prophet used to come in enter the masjid to pray the Fajr prayer, it would be darkness at that time. But because, as it's mentioned in the hadith, كَانَ يَقْرَأُ بِالسِّتِينِ إِلَى الْمِئَةِ He used to recite from 60 to 100 ayat. If you imagine, even if you go in when it's dark, if you're going to recite 60 to 100 ayat, which may take a certain amount of time, a long amount of time, by the time you finish, 
and the Fajr prayer finishes, there will be some light now emanating from the skies, which will allow you to be able to recognize who your colleagues are. And that's what's mentioned here. كَانَ يَطِيلُ الْقِرَاءَ فِيهَا He used to elongate his recitation in the Fajr prayer. وَلَا يَنْصَرِفُ مِنْهَا إِلَّا حِينْ يَعْرِفُ الرَّجُلْ جَلِيسَةً And he never used to finish the prayer and leave up until they could recognize each other. It was a long amount of time that darkness had gone and the lightness had started to appear. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ حِينَ يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا لَا يَعْرِفُ الرَّجُلُ مَنْ بِجَانِبِهِ Therefore indicating that when he used to enter the mosque, they wouldn't be able to recognize each other from the darkness. But when he used to leave, then they would be able to recognize each other. And that is because of the extent of his recitation in the Fajr prayer. And that's why in the, the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Isra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Fajr prayer by which name? Mashhuda, what's Mashhuda though? The Qur'an. Huh? That's it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Fajr prayer as the Qur'an. Qur'an al-Fajr. Inna Qur'an al-Fajr kana mashhuda. The Qur'an of the Fajr. Why the Shaykh says, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refer to the Fajr prayer as the Qur'an? Because of the elongated time that you spend in the Fajr prayer reciting the Qur'an. 60 to 100 ayat. As opposed to the Maghrib prayer, for example, where the recitation is shorter. So that is what is recommended and how the Fajr prayer should be recited. Uh, and just to conclude, the Shaykh mentions uh, what the meaning of mashhuda is, that the Fajr prayer it is something which is witnessed. What do you mean that the Fajr prayer is witnessed? Or what does it mean that it is witnessed? I.e. that the angels, they attend, or the angels of the night, they attend that prayer, and the angels of the day, they attend that prayer. وَكَذَلِكَ فِي صَلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ And similarly in the prayer for Asr, the angels of the day and the angels of the night, they both attend that prayer. ثُمَّ يَنْسَرِفُ الَّذِينَ بَاتُوا مَعَنَا يَعْرِجُونَ إِلَى رَبِّهِمْ وَيَبْقَ الَّذِينَ نَزَلُوا فِي النَّهَارِ إِلَى صَلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ The angels, the guardians that were with a person overnight, they stay up until the Fajr prayer, and the ones who are going to stay with the person for the day, they come at the Fajr prayer too. So they come together. Then after the Fajr prayer, the ones that were with the person overnight, they leave. And the others who have come, they stay up until Asr. They stay up until Asr, and then the others for the night, they come at Asr again. And they get together again. The ones for the day and the ones for the night. And they pray the Asr together. Then the ones for the day leave, and the ones for the night stay. So in that way, the alternation it occurs. That's what's mentioned about the Fajr prayer and the Asr prayer. That the two angels or the separate angels of the day and the night, they come together upon that person in those two prayers. And it's mentioned in the hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, how did you leave my slave? And they say, we left him praying. And that's why the scholars, they mention the virtues of the Fajr and the Asr prayer. Uh, and that they should not be missed and that they should be prayed in the jama'ah. Because of this great virtue of the angels coming and witnessing those prayers, the angels of the day and the angels of the night. So we'll conclude upon that hadith, and inshallah next time, we'll begin with the next one, which is concerning the Isha prayer specifically, about whether you should pray it early at the beginning of its time, or later at the end of its time, even though we mentioned in this previous narration that Prophet ﷺ used to like to delay it, it's known from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ though, 
on the majority of occasions, he would pray it at the beginning. So how do we combine that and what do we understand from that? Inshallah, we'll begin from that next time. Two questions. Hmm. Um, is that narration, our last one, is it also based on the safeguard, the middle prayer uh, between the Asana and the, the Fajr? Because I think there's a bit of difference between like, which one they say there is in the middle prayer. God over your prayers and God over the middle prayer. There's a difference of opinion about it, correct? If you look at the tafsir of this ayah, scholars mention different opinions on what the middle prayer is. Some of them say it's, it's Salat al-Asr. Some of them mention the middle prayer is Salat al-Asr. But if you look at the tafsir of that, you're right. There's a difference of opinion on that, what the middle prayer is. And uh, also the, uh, the um, Salah of uh, necessity for Asr. Um, because I, I came across a narration, narration, but I don't know if it's, it's, it's Sahih or not, that the, the sun rises and sets between the horns of the shaykh. Uh, that will come to. That's about the Maghrib specifically when it's setting. Uh. That will come to. It's going to be mentioned to, inshallah. How much difference is there between those times and the narrations here? <coughs> Just what I mean is mm. that mentions that Dhuhr is not until Asr, and there's also the opinion that Dhuhr is until Asr. So how would you, until the beginning of Asr, basically? Well, the, now this is the opinion that we just mentioned. Dhuhr it continues up until Asr because of this narration, yes. because of these ahadith. No. Those ahadith then it will it will have to be a case of how to combine them, okay. how to combine the hadith of Jibril to this. Yeah, how is it combined? Yeah. Eh, Allah, we'll have to come to it. How it's combined between the the specific timings of those ones to the ones mentioned in these ones, <laughs> and there'll be there'll be a combination of them. No. There's there's no issue with that really. No. There'll be a combination of how to work them out, inshallah. But once again, it, it will come. <laughs> We've only done two hadith today, <laughs> and the chapter of hadith is there's, uh, there's many a hadith. A lot of these issues they will come. They will come. Uh, it, uh, really, this chapter it goes on for about maybe 15, 20 hadith. Approximately before the next chapter begins, the subsections. By the time you get to the end of a subsection, if you don't find that your issues are uh, resolved, then it's probably the time. But before the end of the subsections, a lot of the issues, they probably come afterwards anyway, most likely. So uh, the best thing to do is to read in advance too. Get the copy of Bulug al-Maram, it's available in English. Then to read in advance the subsection, the whole of the subsection. Then later on you'll recognize that there's a hadith coming about this particular issue. Or there's a hadith over there coming about this particular issue. And often you'll find it's like that. Inshallah. So we'll conclude there, inshallah, and we'll continue in two weeks' time.